Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. And how are we today? Yeah, I'm all right. It's been it's been quite a while since we recorded, isn't it? It's been about three three weeks ish. Yeah, we have been working hard behind the scenes for your and our entertainment. Quite playing do, games. Do, do you know what I saw today? What's that? It's quite apt with uh, the episode that we're recording. I was driving through town and I saw a bus, and I didn't realise that buses have names these days, um, <laughs> but apparently they do. And the bus I drove past had a little name badge on the front, and it was called Epona. With an E? Yes, with an E. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I wonder if that was a a nod of the head to the Zelda franchise. Maybe. It was a good omen, I think. That's what I reckon. And speaking of which, today we are covering a Zelda game. We are covering number 41 on our Metacritic Top 100 list, which is... The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, released in October 2000, with a score of 95 in total, and it was released on the Nintendo 64. Okay, so just overall general impressions, what are your impressions of this game? Yeah, I liked it. I I think I say this every time that we do a Zelda game, but it's probably good to to readdress it is that my experience with zelda isn't particularly much is that a sentence my experience isn't much but you you, you, you know <laughs> isn't what I mean. vast as, as, uh, as bad as my english is i don't really consider myself a zelda fan that much i've played a few of the games and so far for the podcast i've played and completed a link to the past and ocarina of time and i can now add majora's mask to that list as well Congratulations um, for completing your you. challenge. Thank you very much. Your ongoing challenge, which is to complete all of the Zelda games. Only a, only a few more left. Um, but I mean, before we started this podcast, I played a couple of other of the Zelda games as well, including A Link Between Worlds and Wind Waker HD. But out of all of them that I've played for the podcast and outside of the podcast, this is probably the most peculiar entry into the series, in my opinion. But I yeah. know that my opinion is, um, you know, it is what it is. It's a Zelda game. I liked it. But you're, um, you've got a much stronger opinion of this game, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I've got um, a long history with this game. Um, so I got this game when it came out. I got it for a birthday. So probably have been in 2001 that I got this um, for my birthday. Or maybe I got it for Christmas. Um, Was it the gold cartridge way. Majora's Mask? Yeah, I've got the gold cartridge, and I, I I didn't complete it back then. I made it all the way to Great Bay Temple, and being fairly young, <laughs> I did everything I could to avoid the dungeons. So I played countless hours in the overworld map, and I never wanted to go into Great Bay, so I didn't go in. Um, but yeah, so that that's uh, so long history with this one and this for me i'm not sure if it's at the top of the list we'll have to see um 
we'll have to see where we are when we come out of this list and we'll have to see where we are when we add in our own games into the mix. But this, for me, is definitely top three games of all time. Um, and that's that's your opinion. That's not like your opinion of the list. Like this is in your top three favorite games of all time. Yeah, this is in my top three favorite games of all time. So it's yeah, disregarding the list. Um, I uh, think the other uh, games in that top three in this list. Yes. I'm trying to think what it is. Another Zelda game. Uh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. So, but. I'm kind of leaving that third spot free for something that might surprise me because I've got a lot of games that are up there. Yeah. But um, you never know when they're going to uh, make their way into that top three. But this is definitely in the top three and it may even be a top one. Um, but it does have some stiff competition. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, I've got a huge amount of love for this game. And I mean, I played all the Zelda games at the time. I mean... First game I played was Link's Awakening, and from then on, I was a Zelda stalwart and played all of them. But something, as you say, was different about this game. Now, probably the closest Zelda game to this, which is also a very peculiar Zelda game, is Link's Awakening, which is just also a very, very strange game. Another game that doesn't feature Princess Zelda. Um... And Majora's Mask does not feature Princess Zelda except for one uh, short flashback. Well, Link's Link's Awakening is um, I don't know if they changed it for the remake they made on the Switch, but on the Game Boy it was all down to potentially be a dream, isn't it? Yeah, so it, it is. It's a, it's all a dream. And I think and th- 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 there's something to be said linking that with Majora's Mask because I mean I don't know if you could say all of Majora's Mask is a dream, but there are a lot of theories and and thoughts about Majora's Mask and what it actually is out there on the internet aren't there it's um well if you go by um the legend of zelda encyclopedia which was released by nintendo themselves yeah um they say that it majora's mask caused skull kid to create this world and this world was based on um skull kids experiences within hyrule which is why all the characters are seen yeah. within majora's mask all of the same characters and, from ocarina are there aren't they yeah and and this is this is the really tragic thing that i think it mentions is that once link leaves majora uh, the world of termina the world of termina fades away <laughs> and that's just a tragic cap on what is a really quite bleak game sub- yeah, surprisingly harrowing and bleak, and and in its childlike nature, you could say it's far more bleak than other games that would appear on the surface to be more bleak. Um, I mean, I could I could talk for a, a eternity and a day about my fondness for this game. Um, I don't think it's perfect. So I don't think any game is perfect, but um, I do have a long history with it. I've completed the 3DS version, of course. I've completed the Nintendo 64 original. I played it this time on the Nintendo 64, um, just just as a throwback, really. And I'm glad I did, to be honest. And for the first time, I did a completionist run, which meant I got got all the masks. I got all the heart pieces. I got all the bottles. um, Basically did everything there was to do in this game. And... Generally speaking, I had a great time this time as well. Um, so, so where did you play this? I played this on a 3DS. Um, I, I do have a Nintendo 64, but I mean, my experience with this game is that I've played it before when I originally got it on the 3DS. Um, 
because I'd originally picked up Ocarina of Time 3D and I thought, well, Majora's Mask, I've heard good things about that, so let's give it a go. And I think I played a fair bit of it. Well, I say a fair bit of it. I got up to the Woodfall Temple, then I just fell off, as I do with every Zelda game that I play that isn't for this, this podcast. And I'm quite glad that I did play it this time around on the 3DS because even though I haven't played it much before in the past, I know a lot about this game just from the amount of theories there are about it, of it standing in the Zelda series. And I know that there are some quite significant differences between the N64 version and the 3DS version. Some of them are classified as for the better, some of them aren't. Um, but as well as that, it's been quite handy for me to have this on the 3DS so I can take it around with me because I've been all over the place over the past few weeks. So I've been able to take this game and play it kind of ad hoc, which has been quite good. And um, I've, I've enjoyed it. I didn't really use the 3D function of it very much. I never really do. I see it as a bit of a gimmick, but um, it was handy having this game handheld. Yeah. And, and I've had to... I mean, what I've been trying to do over the last couple of days is try and change my perception in terms of consider what this game is like for other people because for me it's a certain thing for a subsection of the Zelda fan base it's a certain thing but I think what one thing that I now think which I which I didn't necessarily think before and Nintendo themselves apparently thought was that Majora's Mask really was not a very accessible game. In fact, it's quite deliberately not accessible. Um, I mean, that that first run through, if you don't know what you're doing with the Deku Scrub, getting to uh, become Link again, that could throw most people off. So whereas I said to you about Ocarina of Time having these lavish... Um, training seg- segments where you're, you're learning how to use the sword and it's easing you into everything you've got the deku tree which is a very very easy dungeon majora's mask doesn't do that it just throws you in there half of the stuff it doesn't explain to you and you're kind of left to fend for yourself now because i've got the prior memories of how to do things it's not so much of an issue to me but when i think about it it really is a bit of a, a harsh, um, challenging game, and it probably would be for most people picking it up. So, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm not a Zelda pro, and for as we said in in a link to the past, um, I'd occasionally use a guide where needs be because the the primary focus of playing games for this podcast is to get as far through them as we can slash complete them to be able to give an idea of it. And obviously, you could potentially argue that by using a guide you're taking something away from it, which I I can understand. But in order for us to be able to get through a lot of these games, sometimes we do need to use that. And I didn't use a guide for the whole thing, but there were parts of this game where I had to use a guide because a lot of it can be so cryptic that it would just take so much longer than what we have in terms of time space to to do the game for the podcast. But... It isn't the most accessible Zelda game. And I think that um, there are a few Zelda games that aren't the most accessible. Um, I think you've really got to be in that kind of the Zelda space for a lot of games. Zelda games are made for Zelda fans. I can't say that about Breath of the Wild because I've not played that one or Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess, etc. But I know that Breath of the Wild is a little, little bit different. But 
this isn't the most accessible game, I agree. And there are elements of it that are incredibly cryptic that if I didn't have a guide on some of the bits, I'd have had no idea about and I would have missed out on some good content. Put it this way, I've got strong memories of this game. I've completed it on a fair few occasions before, but there were parts which I'd forgotten. Mm. Um, Even though I played the 3DS version a couple of years ago, but then maybe things don't entirely always work the same in the 3DS version, so maybe that didn't help me at all. Um, So there were parts where I was completely stumped and I was just getting really frustrated. Um, and there's one section in the, the Stone Tower Temple where there's a courtyard outside and there is a bombable floor in the courtyard. And then you go down a set of steps, but it's not clear that the steps that you've gone down mean that you're underneath the courtyard. It looks like it's off to the right. And then Tattle, the fairy in this game, says to you, Oh, um... There's there's a there's a there's a shaft in the ceiling, and she says, "Haven't you figured it out yet?" And that's all she says. And I was thinking, "What the hell? Like I'm so lost here." And then it then it clicked. But the confusing thing with that was it didn't feel like it was underneath. Like in my mind, the way that yeah. I was mapping it out, it didn't feel like it was underneath. So, and I thought the hint there is so obtuse. And it's one of the only sections in the game where it has you bombing floors. So was was that yeah. the way you need the powder keg? No, that's that's um, that's Ikana Castle, but oh, this right. was in the actual Stone Tower oh, okay. Temple. Got you. Um, there's a room full of lava, and there's a there's a shaft in the room, and you have to get the sun into the room. So I remember, the mirror yeah, shield. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I recall. Yeah, I, I did that temple last night. So yeah, that um, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> so I was just stumped. And yeah. it finally came to me. But yeah, I had a couple of moments like that where... And sometimes it's really w- rewarding because sometimes um, you'll forget things and you kind of know how things work, but you, you kind of don't know how to get there. And when you figure that out, again, it's really rewarding. Um, but before we get carried away, because I think, especially on my behalf, there could be a tendency to ramble about this game because yeah. there's just so much to say. There is. Um, so... Can you give us the plot in one minute? I can give it a go. Um, Are you going to time me? I'm timing you. Okay. I will go now. So this game picks up directly from where Ocarina of Time ends, and it's implied that um, Link's going through the forest on Epona looking for uh, Navi or Navi. Uh, I don't know why, the most annoying character in that game, but alas. Just leave her. Yeah. You um you come across a skull kid in the forest with two fairies and he's got this uh, this mask on, um and he kind of scares Epona off and Link chases after uh, Epona and the skull kid and falls down this hole into like a tree trunk and it takes him into this other world and the the premise of the game really is that you're in a place called Clock Town in a, a land called Terminus so you're not in Hyrule and the moon is on a collision course with the Earth in three days. And Happy Mask Salesman from Ocarina of Time quests you with retrieving Majora's Mask, which is like an evil mask being that's going to destroy Termina. And you have to go through a three-day cycle, consistently going back in time where the world's going to end and everything's bleak, completing four dungeons to basically get Majora's Mask back, destroy it, give it back to the Happy Mask Salesman, and restore peace and prosperity to the galaxy. And that's before it fades away. 
before Forever. it fades away. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a very basic yeah um, rundown of it. There are the 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 premise of this game is so there's so much to it, but that's there is a, a basic kind of. There's a lot of layers as well, and there's a lot of things that I really like this. I mean, Zelda often often has a habit of telling you things, um, and a lot of games do filling books and books full of lore that it, that they expect you to read, and, yeah. and Majora's Mask doesn't do that. It doesn't do any hand holding, and it lets you uh, kind of create your own reality to what's going on. You've got three days and off you go. Yeah, that, that's it basically. Uh, these are just a pat on the back and on on your way. Um, so. I just wanted to give give a bit of background and uh, then we'll go into a conversation about the structure of this game. Mm. So after Ocarina of Time came out, um, Shigeru Miyamoto, who is the creator of Zelda, uh, he tasked Eiji Numa, uh, who is the um, producer of Zelda, um, to this day. And he's the guy that you see on all the directs who's introducing Zelda stuff. And he was tasked with what what was described at the time is repurposing the dungeons from Ocarina of Time, but just jigging them about a bit. And a lot of people think that's what turned into Zelda Master Quest, which was released on the GameCube um, as an additional thing alongside Wind Waker. Um, but Aegean Numa, uh, Numa um, said, well, I don't really want to do this. And he started planning out new dungeons because he, because he thought the dungeons in Ocarina of Time were as good as they could be. They were they were designed in such a way to be what they were in the final product. Um, so he created these new, dun- new new dungeons, and he said to Shigeru Miyamoto, "Can I create a new game?" And Shigeru Miyamoto said to him, "If you can do it within a year." So they had a year's development time to create Majora's Mask, which is insanity when you think about it. What this game is. Um, so Anuma was panicking I, I read that it's a game that he isn't particularly proud of he's not Well, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing because there's another person involved in this it's a very very key person but yeah he when he when he went back when they went back to do the remaster for the 3DS he didn't, he didn't want, want to go back no. no because um I think it was a very stressful time for him to, to complete this Zelda game within a year. Yeah. I mean, Zelda games don't come out very quickly. This was really an outlier, both in terms of the release schedule and the game itself. Um, but there's a third key person here, because this game has two directors. The first is Anuma, which was his first Zelda pro- project. And he designed the dungeons and a lot of the stuff outside of Clocktown. But the person I think that made Majora's Mask, what Majora's Mask, is someone else at Nintendo called Yoshiaki Koizumi. And if you've seen Nintendo Directs, he's usually the first person you see in them. He's the one with the really nice hair, <laughs> um, an older guy. So that's that's Koizumi. And what he brought to it, Anuma said to him, I want help with this. I've got a year to make it. Can you help me? And Koizumi said to him, if you let me do whatever I want to do. So he had recently seen a film called Run Lola Run, which is um, it's a German film. And in this film, it's about a girl that has to raise a certain amount of money within 20 minutes to save her boyfriend. And the time just repeats and repeats and repeats. So this is where they got that 
structure for Majora's Mask. They borrowed it wholesale from that. Um, and originally it was supposed to be a week, but they realized that a week would have been too much. So they, so they reduced it to three days and you've got this three day cycle that's now introduced to the game. And Koizumi was responsible for all of the inhabitants of Clocktown. He was responsible for the moon um, crashing into Termina. He said that one day he was daydreaming and he looked up at the moon and he thought, what if the moon crashed into the earth? What would happen? And that was basically the premise for Majora's Mask created. And apparently all the serious stuff in the game came from him. And apparently in response to that, Anuma made all the stuff that you see or some of the stuff that you see outside of the town less serious, more comedic or yeah. lighter. Um, so you've got these two contrasting people approaching things in a completely different way. One of the other really interesting stories about how they came up with the content, um, apparently that they were at a wedding and this was a time where there was there was a risk of North Korea um, bombing Japan and they thought, imagine having a wedding in, a, in an apoc- apocalyptic um, scenario and that's how the couple of Andrew and Kafai were born. The big this side wedding. quest. Yeah, huge side quest, which, I mean, it's very elaborate and very heartwarming. And it, that's how this was born. So I just find it fascinating. And, and the thing with Koizumi is he had a little bit, apparently a very minimal amount to do with, um, with Wind Waker. But after that, he went on to the Mario series. And now he's the producer. He's the equivalent of... Um, Anuma on Zelda uh, to the Mario series. Right. So he never did another uh, Zelda game properly. So this was really all of his Zelda ideas into one game. But I think he's the one that makes this game very unusual. I'm sure it was them working together, complementing each other's style. And, and Anuma deserves credit for some excellent dungeons as well. So well, Yeah, I mean, you, you, you touch on it there, that obviously there are two elements to this game. There's the dungeons, which is the usual buy the buy stuff for a Zelda game but then there's also all of the side content as well and because this game runs on a three day cycle all of the the characters in the game have their own schedule they have their own time scale they do things at certain times on certain days and there's about 30 something side quests in this game aren't there and that's where the meat of the game really is isn't it I watched two videos after finishing the game You've got Matthew Matosis, who we're big fans of. He's very fond of this game, but he does he does say that he wouldn't recommend it as a first Zelda game, but no. he does think it's better than Ocarina of Time. Yeah. I'm right there with him. <laughs> and then you've got... I watched um, the Ang- Angry Video Game Nerds review of Majora's Mask. Blimey, I've and watched him for ages. Well, he represents the other side to Majora's Mask. He really likes the tone and the mood of the game. But he finds the structure very frustrating. And I mean, I was watching it and I was thinking this stuff to me just makes perfect sense. Like he got to the end. So he got to the end of the three days. He had like a a minute left and he was right outside the Bosch chamber for in Great Bay. And he had to reset time because obviously he had a minute left. And he was getting really annoyed because he I know it's his shtick. But he was getting really annoyed because he expected his progress to be saved in the dungeon. Uh, And I thought, why would you expect that? But then at the time, no one knew how this three-day cycle worked. So I suppose 
didn't new players were thinking again. this. Yeah, so he had to do it all over again, and he wasn't a fan of that. So this game is very divisive. It's a very divisive Zelda game. I think some people really like this pressured time constraint. I really like it because I think it encourages design that the Zelda series and games in general really haven't seen for a long time and other people hate it and I mean that's fine it's your mileage isn't it mileage may vary they say yeah so um so there's that first line in the game from the happy mask salesman which is you've met you've met with a terrible fate yeah this line so what do you think about some of this some of these themes and and the tone of the game um because we've we touched on it but how dark is this game i think the the themes in this game are really what sets it apart besides obviously the three-day cycle thing etc the the biggest thing that i think of when i think of this game is termina it's a very um it's a very heavy sorry the thing i think about when i think about this game is um is the themes and you know that that links in with termina um, because I think Termina is, is it Latin for, or, or it's, some, it's something to do with Terminal, isn't it? There's, there's mean, a reference. Mean, to, means the end. Yeah, the end. And this game, its its feeling is very oppressive. It's very heavy. It's a good and word. it's got the theme of of death throughout the entire thing, but not just of death, but of life as well. And those two things go hand in hand but everywhere you look around Termina everything's awful like everyone's (laughs) having a bad time and no matter what you do in this game with the constraints of the three day period you you can't save everyone and it's it's the case that you know at the um, at, at the start of each dungeon at the start of each area you get a mask and masks are a big element of this game and you get the mask of someone who has died or is about to die and i think that with with this game with its masks and with the the theme of taking on someone else's identity it's very much i don't know what i'm trying to say really but it's just very different to any other Zelda game you could think of in terms of the theme. You think of Zelda games, you think of games for children, really. Yeah. Obviously, Zelda games are for everyone, same as Mario. No, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, N- Nintendo's always been a very kid-centric... Very accessible to yeah. everyone. Nintendo's always been a very kid-centric company. And that was their shtick, particularly through the 90s and early noughties. And to have a game where you go from Ocarina of Time being classified as one of the best games of all time to Majora's Mask, where it's very much like, hey, everything's really bad. Everyone's going to die. And no matter how much that you change things and save people, you still you still got to go back in time and put stuff back to the way that it was where every, everything's bad. And obviously at the end of the game, and you you know you save the, the world, that, that changes. But no matter what you do, Every time you go back to that first day and you go back through the cycle again, everything goes back to how it was. All, yeah. all of the bad stuff comes back. And, you know, even the, the first mask that you get in the game, which is the Deku scrub mask, 
you and me were discussing this over WhatsApp that um, as you're going into the kind of the start of the game, you get the mask and you see this like withered Deku tree that looks petrified. Um, yeah. And, and you realize that the mask you're wearing is of that Deku scrub. The soul. Yeah, yeah the, the soul, soul of that Deku scrub yeah. within a mask. And you, you you wear the souls of the Deku scrub of Azura, of a Goron, and um, of a G- Gibdo. You don't really wear the soul of the Gibdo, do you? Um, that's well, just... the, the, the three main soul masks are the Goron, the Zora, and the Deku, and then yeah. you get the Fierce Deity mask is considered the fourth one. Yeah, that's it. And... Yeah, it's it's just a it's just a theme of oppressive, heavy bleakness in this game. But I think that's what kind of sets it apart. It's very frantic. And I mean you, you can even see it from the beginning when you first meet the happy mask salesman, and I know that Matthew Matosis mentions this in his video, that the way that Termina and this game are portrayed is that something isn't quite right. There's something weird. And nothing something creepy and unnerving yeah. about everything. Yeah, it, it's very unnerving. And that gets, you know, put forward straight away when you meet the happy mask salesman. And usually in these games, like everyone else that you meet, they have um, movements that flow and you can see everything they do. But with the happy mask salesman, all of his movements and all of his actions are cut. So it will cut from him looking at you holding his hands to him in another area and there are just edit cuts all over the place that yeah, make you cuts kind of between, unnerved it's really weird cuts between his animations doesn't yeah, it yeah that's it. it cuts between the animations and i mean the happy mars salesman in this game is a bit weird anyway like he's creepy and you know the, the the line you've met with a terrible fate haven't you it's unnerving as it is and then, then you meet him, and particularly when you don't get him Majora's mask back by the end of the first cycle, and he goes a little bit crazy at you. It, it's just weird. It's just strange. But I think that's so, a good thing. So what does that line mean to you? You've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? Because there are all sorts of theories as to what that means. What do you think it means? I think the Link's dead. I think that... Um, I mean, I, I haven't watched any conspiracy videos or conspiracy theories about um, Majora's Mask for a good few years. I didn't watch any before we recorded this, just because I I didn't want it to kind of cloud where I stand with it. But I've watched quite a lot of videos in the past, and I mean, I used to quite find the, the game theorists interesting on YouTube, but over the last few years, not so much. But I've always kind of been in the camp when I played this game last time, and, and this time that Link's dead. And that Termina is his version of Purgatory. And yeah. I'd, I don't know if that's right. And we probably never know. Well, uh, we never will know if that's correct. But just with the fact that you're in a place called Termina, that there's all this death around you and that everything is so unhinged and unhilted, it makes me think that Link's dead. And I don't know if he died before the start of the game, or I don't know if he died when he fell down the hole at the start. But yeah, I I, I don't think that he's alive. I think that Terminator is purgatory. What what about you? I think I, I I'd go with only because it's the Nintendo. I mean I I don't know to be to be honest, and I quite like that I don't know. Yeah. But I would lean towards Nintendo's theory of it being this creation of Skull Kid putting on Majora's mask. And 
it's it doesn't exist in a real place or a real time. Yeah. Like you never know Terminus proximity to Hyrule, and you never you never understand why the moon is crashing into Termina, but it's not having any impact on Hyrule. You you, and... you never understand how you fall down a hole, and then at the yeah. bottom of that hole is this entire like... other land with an open sky. It's like Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Down the rabbit hole, big time. Um, and apart from that one flashback, Zelda is not mentioned. Apart from that very beginning section, um, your quest to find the fairy Navi is not mentioned. Everything is just disconnected from the rest of Zelda. And then the fact that you apparently you come away from Terminator and it fades away. I mean, that to me that's just as bleak as it Link being dead. Either way, it's not it's not a happy story. Um, but yeah, I think it's really. I mean, there are creepy pastors written about Majora's Mask and ghost stories and just literally you you search Majora's Mask, you can find essays on who the happy mask salesman is um essays on skull kid er, essays on the philosophy of majora's mask i mean it's probably one of the most written about games of all the games um it's a fascinating hole to go down but yeah it just makes it unlike anything else and i think one of the ultimate things is you you beat majora at the end and you see the final cutscene, and then you reload your game it actually the first day. yeah you're back in the first day everything is unchanged you're back in the cycle um it does save the fact that you've got the fierce deities mask but apart from that there's nothing really to say that you've actually done anything or made any changes it's a uh, it's hopeless really isn't it yeah. it's a bit hopeless that's a good word to describe it everything around you is hopeless and no matter what you do it just stays like that yeah, and it's full of death. I mean, you, you get the Zora mask, you see the Zora die in front of you, <laughs> and then the soul goes into a mask. It's really just... What I think... There are lots of games about death. There are lots of dark games. There are lots of bleak games. What makes this game really different is that it's got this veneer of being a game for everyone. It's got these uh, this this childlike art style, and it doesn't look like that game. Plus, as well, and it kind of if if you're a kid playing this like you were back then, it might be something that you don't notice. You, you don't. I didn't notice yeah. how dark it was. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I knew that I was far more interested in it and its world than I was with Hyrule in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that was, but yeah, as a kid, you you don't really analyze these things. No, not at all. It, it kind of goes over your head, doesn't it? Okay, so we're 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 quite way through the episode, and we've not really talked about the gameplay. So on to our always present feature: gameplay is king. Is this game fun to play? Yeah, it, it is because there's always something different for you to do. You don't necessarily have to, you know go and do the dungeons you can keep yourself busy with with side quests and particularly once you've done maybe two or three of the dungeons most of the extra stuff is then open to you 
so you don't have to stick with the main plot line you can go and do a side quest you can go and you know save romani's ranch from these weird aliens that are trying to abduct cows or you know there's a lot to do in this game or you know go and find the the frogs with the don Giro mask there's there's a lot to do that keeps you occupied and i mean we'll come on to it later i'm sure you sent me the list over of what what we're going to be discussing but I've, yeah I've, I've we been, usually work from a yeah, very loose I, list of what we're going to talk I, about i didn't really look at it to be honest with you because i wanted to go into the right. blind and i imagine we'll i never do to, yeah i imagine we'll come on to the music at some point later but one of the things that makes you want to carry on playing is the music and there are a few tracks in particular in this game that i think really stand out but in terms of fun yes but I don't think it's one of those games. And maybe it's because I was playing it on the 3DS. I don't know. But it's not one of those games that I can play for you know, longer than about three or four hours at a time. It's it's not like an all-dayer kind of game time sync. You need breaks from it. Because like we say... It yeah, is, I, it would, is I would agree with that. Because I, 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 I think it's also the structure, that three-day cycle. If you slow down time, um, because there is a song that can slow down time for you so that Song you're not running out of time, time so quickly yeah and if you do that the three days last three hours and it's a natural stopping point whenever i got to the end of the third day i'd stop for the day and because i'd plan everything around that three-day cycle then i think it's funny because then i go away from the game and i think what am i going to do in my next three-day cycle it's a very strange strategic thing that's going on there that again, is not present in any other Zelda game. Yeah, for sure. It, I mean, you, you can do numerous things in your cycles. I mean, for me, it would usually be the fact that I'd do a dungeon and then maybe I'd go off and do some side quests. Like when I did um, the second dungeon, which is um, Snow... Is it Snowhead? Yes. When I did Snowhead, I immediately then went and did the, um, the powder keg thing as the Goron and I did the race so I could get the gold dust to get the um the gilded sword and there's always something extra for you to do and when I completed it last night I finished the fourth dungeon and then I immediately just went up to because uh, I think it was the dawn of the third day by that point so I went and killed some time did some other stuff and then when midnight hit on the, the third day I just immediately went and went into the moon and, and fought Majora so th- there's always stuff that you can do in you know you can meticulously plan your days like like what you said you did but you can also kind of just see what's going on and yeah kind of wing it yeah because i was because i was trying to do everything i was trying to do everything efficiently as well because the thing with this game if if you don't know how to play it then it can waste your time for example you can complete a dungeon and you can make spring come to the mountains but certain things are unlocked when you make spring come to the mountains. And if you don't do them straight after doing the dungeon, you go back in time to the beginning of the first day and it's winter in the mountains again. So you'd have to complete the dungeon again to unlock spring in the mountains to do those quests. So One good thing is I believe that once you've completed the dungeon for the first time, if you try and go back to it, I think there's a portal that leads you straight to the, the dungeon boss. Yes, there is. And uh, I mean, for my playthrough, because as I said, I was doing a completionist run. I did Snowhead boss three times over the course of it. Um, I quite enjoyed because... that boss, to be fair, though. Oh, yeah, it's a great boss. It's a brilliant boss. But um, yeah, so I didn't mind doing that one again. No. But 
if you are doing a completionist run, you you got to plan your time because otherwise yeah, you could definitely. be waiting around for a very long time. Yeah. It's a game that rewards patience, um, and I'd say if you're a semi-patient person, you, you you'll quite enjoy this. But if you're someone that's very very impatient, then maybe it's not the game for you. Um, I think it's fun. I think the 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 masks of the three races the the Zora mask the Deku mask the Goron mask I think they really um, add variety to the gameplay I mean we obviously played Ocarina of Time before we played this for the list if I was to play Ocarina afterwards I think it would drive me a bit mad yeah to go back to that out of interest what was your most used mask either the Goron or the Zora mask out of all of the masks Oh, out of all of them, yeah. oh, constantly have the bunny hood on. Yeah, same. Constantly. Yeah, it feels like when you have that off, you feel like you're going so, so slow. It's ridiculous. I love the bunny hood. It's amazing. Yeah, best mask in the game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, constantly had the bunny hood on. Um, and what's your favourite move to do in this game? I think I probably said the same when we did Ocarina, but I really enjoy the sword play, especially when, when you get the gilded sword and um, your damage goes up. It doesn't take yeah. much to defeat enemies. Um, so I'd say the sword play again. I mean, the ocarina is obviously still an element in this game. And I like um, the different tunes you can you can learn for it. But out of everything, I'd say the, um, the sword play. I'd, I'd love to say the arrows as well. I mean, if, if you like the bow and arrow in this game, then you're going to have a great time. Because that's the... Uh, you know, different arrows are the... Um, yeah, the that's one of the flaws dungeon. of the game, in my eyes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say either the sword play or thinking about it, using the um, the roll as the Goron. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because as a kid, I mean, the weight of that roll, it just feels really weighty and it yeah. feels really nice. As, as a kid, I used to just roll around Terminal Field <laughs> for ages. Like, I just love doing it. Yeah, it's very satisfying. But actually... It is, and, and this time though, uh, uh, so I don't know if you know this, but there's a difference in the 3DS version and the N64 version between the swimming yeah, as the is, Zora. Like the, the 3DS version is a lot slower. Yeah, the fastest because... speed in the 3DS version, which is where you're using the magic, that was the standard speed in the N64, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and you don't use magic when you use it on the N64, but I, I, I really enjoyed this time. Um, diving into a pool of water at high speed and just uh, just dipping in and out like a dolphin and it just feels so good again they kind of nailed the feeling of using the different types of race in the game yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah that, own that's thing. His own yeah race. and I really enjo- enjoyed using the, the flowers as the Deku as well no, I'd say the Deku was probably my least favourite of them to use just because it was the slowest yeah definitely the slowest um so on to a bit of a bit of a short discussion about the dungeons um only four of them this time um just just i suppose first your overarching thoughts of the dungeons i thought they were a lot more interesting than ones in ocarina of time were i mean i don't really remember the ocarina of dungeon times that well now because it's been a while since we played it the one that always sticks out to me is um is it jabu jabu's belly yeah. That always sticks out. The Deku tree sticks out. And then once you're an adult, none of them really st- stick stick with me, really. But with Majora's Mask, because there are fewer of them, I think they had to put more into them. 
and I mean the first the first dungeon uh, Woodfall is quite easy it's quite yeah. self-explanatory what you've got to do but as you progress they get slightly harder and I mean with um, with snow snowhead temple it can be quite confusing if you don't know where you're going or if you're not sure what about all these doors and yeah it, it can be a lot but I mean out of the four temples they're they're all very different and obviously the great bay temple is classified as the water temple for this game i suppose but it was a lot more well it was a lot less frustrating than in ocarina of time the water temple there was and obviously that one's infamous anyway but i think that the temples in this game were better suited for the kind of game this was there weren't too many of them and they didn't get boring which is what i found with ocarina of time it was like you've done one temple okay i've got to do another five or yeah. six of them like there were a lot whereas this one so you've done two and you're halfway through you know yeah yeah i agree i, I feel like there's almost too many in ocarina but i'd say maybe another one or two as, as a big fan of this game i'd have been happy with in this game but i'm quite happy with four at the same time yeah i think i i, I agree with you um woodfall is fairly straightforward it really the cent- most of most of these dungeons have a central mechanic and it's about you understanding that mechanic in order to get through the dungeon it's about understanding the so, mask really isn't it yeah but there's also like a, a mechanism at the center of each one so in woodfall you've got the room with the the flower that raises up and then yeah. it's got the fire in the middle and that's not the best example of one because it's um i don't think it's that challenging but i think the designs of Snowhead and Great Bay and um, Stone Tower are really intelligent and really devious. And like, like you said, if you don't understand the layout of that dungeon, like in Snowhead, you have to go to the certain levels and you have to punch the blocks. But if you do it in the wrong order, if you don't understand how to get to the levels using a certain route, you're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere. Yeah. You're just gonna hit a complete brick wall. So it really tasks you with thinking about it. I mean, I, th- I think I use my head a lot more than in Ocarina of Time where you can kind of just blunder through. Um, so I really like those central mechanisms. And I, I feel like Zelda games going forward, the best dungeons are always those ones that have that kind of... Um, that task you with understanding the dungeon and have that layout. Understanding that... the dungeon, not just understanding the accessory that you get from them. Yeah, and understanding the mechanism, how the dungeon works, how it shifts and warps. And the best example of it warping, I mean, as I said to you, this is my favourite dungeon in the game, and it could well be my favourite dungeon in the Zelda series. There's a couple of other that I think are excellent in later games. But um, Stone Tower, just that mechanic of turning the dungeon upside down. Imagine designing that so that each walkway would have an underside, but that prevented you yeah, from getting so to certain places. I bet it was, yeah, I bet it was really challenging to design. And, and when you're upside down and the sky is below you, it, I mean, it, it made me feel weird. Like, it wasn't just in other games, like you've got a big bottomless pit. It felt like the sky was below you. It felt like you were upside down. Yeah. It didn't feel right. Something felt wrong about it. Um, so it kind of gives you almost vertigo. Um <laughs> So yeah, I, I love that dungeon. I think it's brilliant. That was that was my least um, favorite out of the four. Fair enough, yeah. And what was your what was your favorite? Probably Snowhead. 
I think I think Snowhead was good. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, Snowhead. Um, and I think the boss in that temple was the the, the most fun as well. I mean, Woodfall. Yeah. You had that um that guy that ran around with a mask, didn't you? You looked a little bit like Uka Uka from Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> um, and then in the Great Bay, it was the fish, wasn't it? George. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, the the last dungeon I felt obviously it, it's supposed to be the hardest because it's supposed to test your experience and knowledge and how how well you're going to get on with all three of the masks and also using the um the the tune the elegy of emptiness which yeah. again very bleak but i think there was just something about it that i didn't enjoy and plus i really 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 didn't enjoy the boss battle in that dungeon like, yeah it. i hated it and uh, th- yeah that, that's an example of i think that the 3ds doing a worse job than the n64 version because yeah. they i mean i really enjoyed the boss battle in the n64 version you just turned into a giant and you're just having this kind of epic battle with these worm things and Twin mold. Th- yeah yeah and whereas on the 3ds it becomes this overlong chore where you have to use arrows first and then you have to use the giant's mask and then they really limit your movement with the giant's mask. Um, yeah, so that's an example of the 3DS version. I don't know why they did that. Um, I'd love to love to know why they did that. But yes, um, my least favourite would probably be... probably be Great Bay. Just... I feel like... The other dungeons do quite a nice job of differentiating themselves from the Ocarina of Time equivalents. Yeah. And I do think Great Bay is a significant step over the Water Temple, don't get me wrong. But it's still water. Yeah, it's still, definitely. It's, it's a similar thing to me. Um, so just just maybe not as original as the other ones. No, I um, that. So I just wanted to touch on briefly the um the side stories and really the the thing i want to touch on here is that you've got these really um, on paper childlike characters um filling out this world what strikes me about this is that they feel remarkably human and real and you just don't expect it like you can get you can build connections with these characters like when you steal the the Goron's room at the Stockpot Inn and he's sleeping outside, <laughs> I feel sorry for him, and I always feel bad for him every single time I do it, and I keep doing it, and every time I feel bad. And I mean, the best example is just, I mean, it's, it's like a classic gaming moment, really, is when you do get to reunite Kafai and Andrew. So you're waiting in the Stockpot Inn. You've um, you've got the sun mask for Kafai and you're waiting for him to turn up because you can just teleport there and you've got that great piece of music which plays when the world is about to end yeah and you're just waiting it's and the game the just plays on yeah and this game just plays with the idea of you waiting and it's just yeah brilliant and finally you hear footsteps outside then you hear him coming up the stairs and you see him come in and they've just got great dialogue and it waits till the very last second to reunite them then you have to undo it play. all 
yeah, you have to play the Song of Time very quickly to get out of there. But they're just waiting to die together. And it's very simple, very elegant. And, I mean, I can't really think of that many, even the deepest, most well-written character portrayals that, that do it as well as that. So that's that's my um, tip of the hat to the characters and the side quests in this game. Have you got anything to say about those? I mean, I, I didn't do um, I didn't do that side quest just because when I finished Majora yesterday, um, I'd I'd been playing it for about three hours. I was like, no, I need to be done now. I've, I've finished the game. Fair enough. Um, but I am aware of that side quest, and I, I've I've always known that it you know it comes to an end like seconds before the um, the moon crashes down. And I mean, I've still got my save because obviously, like we said, when once you restart the game, it starts at the dawn of the first day, but you still got all your masks and stuff. So I might go back and do that because I've heard it is one of the highlights of the game. And I mean, it's it's just clever design with the side quests, with the uh, the, the schedules of all of the the, the people of Termina. That there's always more stuff to discover and always more stuff to find, and I think you know you, you you tipping your hat to that. I think it's fair enough because particularly for a game in the year two thousand, not very many games had, you know, games where, uh, sorry, not many games had, you know, mechanics where, the the AI people in the game would have their own schedule and they'd be doing their own thing and they'd stick to their time frame and stuff. You know, it, for for a game for twenty one years ago, it's clever, and it, it stands yeah. it stands apart. I mean, I was watching videos afterwards after I completed it. And I was, I was thinking, I've never seen that moment. And like, for example, the swordsman who says that he's going to chop the moon in two or chop the moon into pieces. And then, and then if you see him, yeah, if you see him on the third night, he's hiding in the corner terrified. And I mean, I, as a kid, I don't know if I'd have even clocked that, but it's, it's just so tragic, isn't it? And then, I mean, there are other ones, but there's the fact that the guards... On the first and second days, they're just guarding. And on the third day, they've got their hand on their heart and they're looking up to the moon. It's like, these are people that are going to die and they know they're going to die. It's like a game facing mortality. And yeah, it's really strange. Yeah. Very strange feelings this game conjures up. Um, okay, you talked about the um, the music and I want to talk about the presentation as well. Um, so what are your thoughts on the music? Yeah, I really like the music. Now, we, we, we did talk about music when we discussed Ocarina of Time. I remember that. And there's a lot of good tracks in Ocarina of Time, but I think this one trumps it. And th there's a few standout tracks. You just mentioned the one where it's on the final countdown to the earth, uh, to the moon crashing down. And it's... Um, I don't really know how to describe that music, but it's very apt for the feeling and the, yeah. the, the, the moment that's being experienced in that game. But... I mean, even though I didn't experience the piece of music that often, because it wasn't very often that I'd be spending the third day in Clocktown, I really, really like the music for just Clocktown on the third day, because it's the same music that you've heard for the past two days, but it's very manic, and it's very frantic, and I don't know, there's something about that track. That I'm glad that you mentioned that, because... If you listen as well, that you're right. It's, it's, it is very manic. It speeds it up. Yeah. But there's also a different piano tune playing underneath that, which is a discordant piano tune. So you've got this really happy song that was really happy on the first day. Yeah. 
but on the on the third day you've got this discordant undertone which if you listen carefully is there and again it makes you feel uneasy yeah a lot of the music in this game does leave you leave you feeling uneasy um like the music when the happy mask salesman kind of loses his cool with you at the start of the game and he you know he's shaking link around and he's like what have you done why have you done this to me the music in the background there is um is very uneasy it makes you feel very uneasy as well but as well as that there are also parts of this game that don't have music and it suits yeah. it quite well do you know what i mean yeah like it, it does nice job with silence yeah big time um my favorite piece is the stone tower temple um, you've got the do, 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 do. again. It's a very unsettling piece of music. That I mean, a Carnival Valley anyway. It's just a valley of death, basically. Yeah. And then you've got this very, very strange final temple, which feels even more unnatural than all the other temples. Well, the, 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 uh, the music in uh, Carnival Valley. It's when um, you use the song of healing on that girl's father. And oh yeah, he, such a good moment. Yeah. And it's the mu- I think it's like one of the main themes of the of the game. That's um, the song of healing. Yeah, it is the song of healing, isn't it? And the song of healing being played like properly, not just on the ocarina. That's a really good piece of music as well. That stand out. This is my favourite of the Zelda uh, soundtracks because it takes a lot of good tracks that they had in ocarina, but actually here they're my least favourite tracks in the game. And it adds all these these wonderful new ones, and it's um. Soundtrack was done, I believe, by Koji Kondo, and I think he is the equivalent of the third director in this game because the game wouldn't be what it is without that yeah, music. Definitely, the the music in this game is important to to what it is. And how about the the presentation, the graphics? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's exactly the same as Ocarina of Time, isn't it? It's um same engine that they used at the time. And it's an enhanced version of that, though. Because um, oh, you need the rumble, example, rumble pack or something, don't you? Or the... You need the yeah. It's one of two games on the Nintendo sixty four that you need the expansion pack. Was the other one Donkey um, Kong? The other one was Donkey Kong sixty four. Yeah. <laughs> just brings back a memory. Um, so, so I bought this game, and we didn't have the expansion pack. So we couldn't play it. So I was I was panicking. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought. Oh. And luckily, my parents went out and bought one. I think the next day. Um, but yeah, we, we we didn't have the expansion pack, so we couldn't play it. But we didn't know because you just didn't know these things then. I mean, no. this is the time when you, most people didn't play with memory cards; so they'd restart every time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we didn't have the expansion pack, and I couldn't play it. Um, so yeah, I was very panicked by that. But yeah, um, draw distances are pushed out. Um, there is a greater variety of textures and, and more textured detail. Um, and actually, if you look at Link's character model, it is improved and. I think, generally speaking, Majora's Mask is a more colourful game, ironically enough, Yeah. Uh, than Ocarina of Time. They use kind of bright, psychedelic colours sometimes. and um, Particularly when you're oh, falling what, down the hole. Yeah, and, and I, what, what strikes me is that, I mean, the lighting sometimes is really nice in this game. I was playing on the Nintendo 64, and yes, it takes some getting used to going back to a game this old, but there were times when I was thinking... This was really ahead of its time with what it was doing with the effects work and stuff like that. And another thing that really impressed me this time round was this game's got a fair few cutscenes, but they're really nicely animated and the sound cues that they use for voices and things like that, they work perfectly. Mm. So I just, 
yeah, just really impressed by that. Um, and obviously the 3DS version, in terms of the textures and that, they've redone them all and yeah, they look lovely. Yeah. Except for the moon, which I hate on 3DS because it looks like I d- looks like Cookie Monster. Such a nice face. Yeah, whereas the moon in the original game, you can't tell what it's feeling, whereas the moon in the 3DS version just looks angry. Yeah, it but, looks very angry. It's disturbing looking at the moon. Yeah. The one on the N64 just looks pained, angry, scared. Well, like, you can't tell what it's... The, 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 the whole thing with the moon in this game, it makes you feel just so uneasy because, I mean, for, for majority of the game, you're looking at it and it's just there all the time, getting closer, looking at you with this big face. And then at the end of the game, you go into the moon and you expect it to be this horrible, desolate, like fiery land. But it's like, it's what you imagine the Garden of Eden would look like. Yeah. And it's just got loads of kids playing, all which creepily have the face of the happy mask salesman. Um, yeah. And then there's just a tree with a little boy wearing Majora's mask underneath it. And it's just, I mean, we've said the word creepy a lot in this episode, but just creepy. It is, and it's. it's uh, I'm glad you said that. That everywhere outside within this world, you can see that moon, like it's there, always in the corner of the screen. So you either get used to it or you don't, and then you carry on playing anyway. Um, it's full of this disturbing imagery that, as kids, you didn't really realise was disturbing imagery. Um, but yeah, it's true. Um, okay. Now on to our, our question of the week. This is this is um this is gonna be a bit of a longer episode, but not hugely longer. Um so Aijinuma developed this game in a year and he told the story when the 3DS version came out that towards the very end of production, Shigeru Miyamoto said to him, We can delay it if you want. And this got me thinking. Because this game came out at a very funny time. It came out in October 2000, a week before the PS2 was released in America. Um, And there are a few games for the Nintendo 64 that were delayed for the launch of the GameCube, or around the launch of the GameCube. Two that come to mind are Eternal Darkness and Star Fox Adventures, which used to be Dinosaur Planet. And if you look at the N64 versions of those games and you compare them to the GameCube version, they get a massive graphical overhaul. So it got me thinking, what if this game Star had Fox been... Star Fox Adventures come out on the N64? Well, no, it didn't come out on the N64. It came out on the GameCube, but it was originally oh, planned got you, got you, got you. as Dinosaur Planet for the Nintendo oh, I see. 64. Got you. Okay. So there's a there's a, there's some video of it running yeah. on the or you can actually there's it was a recently released ROM of it so you could actually play it on the N64 and it got a huge facelift to, yeah. to I mean it's a great looking game on the GameCube it was a good looking game on the N64 but obviously the GameCube was much more powerful so it got me thinking what if they had delayed this game to launch on the day of the GameCube and how would that have changed history. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw that question to you, and I want you to think about the game itself, the legacy of the game, the Zelda series, games at large, and also how the GameCube fared as a console. Well, I mean, my, my, my answer on this will probably be slightly different to yours, because I don't have experience of the N64 version. I've only got the 3DS version to, to, 
kind of go at. But funnily enough, I was watching a um, a video last night on YouTube by um, I don't think you've watched any of his videos, H Bomber guy, and he's oh, I think I'm subscribed to him, but yeah, I don't, he, I don't he's think the I've... guy that I sent you to watch the video on. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of that game where there's a plague. Um, pathologic. Pathologic, yeah. Um, and he does a video series called Scanline, and he was. It's, it's like an old video, but he's talking about the difference between watching a film via VHS and watching a game, uh, a film via Blu-ray. And in particular, he was talking about Alien. And watching those films at home, he said there's something a lot scarier and there's something a lot more oppressive about watching that film on VHS than it is uh, watching it via Blu-ray because... With Blu-ray, everything's crisp. You can see everything, and the lighting's been, you know, upscaled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on the VHS, yeah. there's a lot of shadows and stuff, and you can't always see what's going on, and it makes it a lot more. Um, it keeps you on edge a lot more because you can't see everything in exact color. And I think not exact color, but you, you know what I mean. Everything's not as visible yeah. because of the, the the quality difference. And funny that you mention. You know the difference between if this had come out on the GameCube or if it had just stuck to the N64, and I think if it had have come out on the GameCube, it would have still been, you know, a, a well-received game. I don't know if people would have been particularly happy with this game being the launch Zelda title on the GameCube, but then again, people weren't happy with Wind Waker because they were kicking off about the cel-shaded graphics and stuff. But it's now considered one of the best Zelda games, isn't it? And mm, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I Wind Waker is still divisive. Yeah, I think it's still divisive, but I think it's it was like a, a bit of a it's sleeper defi- hit. Definitely, uh, I think you're talking about the art style. Yeah, that's definitely the conversation has changed around the art yeah. style, but the game itself is still divisive. Sure. And I think that this game suits the N64 because it isn't as crisp or as upscaled as, as the GameCube. And I think if it had have come out on the GameCube, it, it would have lost a lot of its charm because I think a lot of this game can be left down to your imagination. And that would have been taken away if things had been on the GameCube, if it had have been crisper, if it had have been, you know, nicer to look at or lighter, etc. And I mean, it's it's always a good thing when a game gets delayed because it means they're taking more time on it. I mean, just look at Cyberpunk 2077. That game yeah. should have been delayed by a year, if not more. Years. And I've, I've decades. I've got no interest in playing that game. Like it, it isn't a game for me. I've got it, but I refuse to play it until it's in a better state. And I've got an Xbox Series X. Yeah, so. precisely. And even though people will kick off, and you know, you, you hear stories about people sending death threats when games are delayed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's only a small portion. On the whole, a lot of people will be happy to see a game be delayed. And, I mean, the GameCube... I, I don't know as much about the GameCube as probably you do because it wasn't a console that I really grew up with or had until, you know, a, a couple of years ago. But I know that the GameCube wasn't as successful as Nintendo probably expected it to be or wanted it to be. And obviously it, it certainly wasn't as successful as the Wii was because the Wii is one of the most successful consoles ever. Um, but I think this game, if, if it had been remade like as a Master Quest kind of thing on the GameCube, I think that would have been fine. But I think 
the Nintendo 64 version of this game, it, it was the right call to to not delay it, to push on, if that makes sense, even though it would have been absolutely fine to have done so. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to throw a couple of because I, I, I asked myself the same question last night because I thought, well, what would I say to that? I'm going to throw a couple of things, uh, facts at you. Um, one is that Majora's Mask, and now I'm not sure if this includes the 3DS version, but Majora's Mask on the N64, it was the lowest selling Zelda game out of all of them. Yeah, okay. Um, so it didn't sell very well. Um, and That doesn't shock me. It was towards the end of the Nintendo yeah. 64 lifespan. Imagine if you are a game coming out a week before the PS2 in America. I mean, Mindshare would just immediately go elsewhere, yeah. especially if you're, you're Majora's Mask and you don't really ease people into playing you. A lot of people would have get, got turned off very quickly by it. Um, and it was left to that cult following and that legacy to actually make a name for it those few people that played it that remembered it fondly and then it became this discussion piece and it kind of as cult things do it it grew from there it snowballed into this thing that we're talking about today um but the other thing is the launch slate of the because you're right the gamecube didn't sell that well it sold i think it was either 21 or 22 million um, it was outsold by the Xbox and it was massively, massively, massively outsold by the PS2. And you compare that to the Wii, which sold 100 million, which is almost five times as much as the GameCube. Now, the GameCube launched, the big title at the launch of the GameCube, if you remember, was Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. And at the time, people were wondering if it was enough of a launch title for people to get on board. And we had to wait until the end of 2002 for Wind Waker to come along. Um, and then obviously Wind Waker being what it was, the art style at the time was very divisive and a lot of people weren't interested in Wind Waker. And you've got that famous E3 showing with Twilight Princess where you've got the roar of the yeah, crowd and then when went back Miyamoto the comes out. Beforehand. Yeah, so I suppose part of my imagining for this, and it isn't just purely speculation in imagining um is that a better looking majora's mask comes out on gamecube gamecube i i do think it would have boosted sales i don't think i think it could have outsold the xbox because that was only a couple of million more but obviously i don't think it would have got well it was a new thing yeah i don't think it would have got significantly more sales but i think it would have boosted it um slightly from zelda fans um but I also think the legacy would have been impacted because I don't think if it had been a bigger launch at the time, it doesn't become this kind of secretive thing that, that people talk about in this uh, on forums on the Internet. I mean, people don't talk about Ocarina of Time the same way they talk about Majora's Mask. It doesn't have anywhere near the cult following. No. Um, so I think you diminish its legacy a bit. And I also wonder what would have happened to the Zelda series? Because if Majora's Mask had come out and been more successful, would they have gone down the route of Wind Waker? I find that really interesting as well. And then if they'd have gone down, if they hadn't gone down the route of Wind Waker, would we have a Twilight Princess, which was this response to Wind Waker? So I started the, (laughs) 
painting all these hypotheticals, and they are all hypotheticals. And I think it's exactly right that it launched on the uh, N64. It was the right place for yeah, it, it and it wouldn't have the legacy it had. And I completely understand what you're saying about um, viewing. It's like when you look at something on a CRT, which is the old yeah. chunky TVs, TV. and like the black levels on those, like really dark. Whereas on new TVs, I mean, they find it hard to do black levels. They find find it hard to make things really dark. So often you, you, like the shadows are crushed. They say, um, but yeah. So I agree with you. But I just I just thought it could have been a very different story if it had released on the GameCube, and I just wonder what that would have meant for the Zelda series. I think there would have been some changes. I don't quite know what they would be, and we wouldn't. We'll never know. But. Yeah. I think it's fun to imagine, nevertheless. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I think it would be interesting. I, I'm, I'm glad that they did remake it on the 3DS and, you know, have upscaled it slightly. It might have removed some of the atmospheric stuff of oh, you can't see this or you can't see that in the in the dark or whatever. But I, I'm glad that it was remade. It's just I'd, I'd love to see this remade on the Switch. Yeah, I've I've fantasized about that as well about like a proper, full blown remake yeah. that. If they manage to keep the character of the game, which that's, is always the key that's thing. That's the hard thing, yeah. And I worry, I mean, I worry because Breath of the Wild was an absolute step in the right direction in terms of the challenge of these games, but Nintendo can sometimes make things too easy nowadays. Like, um, there's there's um, 3D World where you can basically be invincible if, if you want to be. I love that game. There's a power-up at the beginning that you can use um yeah yeah exactly and i just i don't i mean i don't want to be one of these people that say says that oh um games should be harder and harder and harder and only the elite can play them i don't i don't believe that at all but i think in this game some challenge represents kind of the themes of the game yeah and i don't think they lost that completely with the 3ds version which is good but I, I worry that might they might take it further. I suppose I, I won't worry too much because I can't see them ever bringing this game out over to Switch or Ocarina of Time. They've made their. I think if they do, it will be a version of the 3DS version, probably because that would probably be easier yeah. than bringing out the full blown. I mean, there have been rumours recently about um, an Ocarina of Time remake. So really, we'll see if anything comes to fruition with that. Maybe Nintendo are weird though, so God knows. Yeah, who knows, who knows. <laughs> you can't speculate on these things. Um, okay, this has been a very fun episode, but um, does The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, placing at number 41 with a score of 95, deserve its place on the list? No, I think it deserves to be higher. Um, it, it absolutely deserves to be on the list, but saying does it deserve number 41, I think it should be a lot higher particularly as its predecessor is number one of all time like this is a short do you think this game is better than ocarina of time yeah i do it's more niche and it's it's more out there but i think this game has a lot more to it than ocarina of time ocarina of time could just be a link to the past again but in 3d you know, obviously it's a little bit different, and you know the 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 story is a bit different, but it's the Zelda um, formula. Yeah, like it's the Zelda formula, isn't it? Like a link between uh, a link to the past, Ocarina of Time. It's the same kind of thing, 
whereas like you said at the start I, I can't say anything about Link's Awakening because I've not played it I don't know anything about it but it's a very good game they're, they're, they're different aren't they and they're yeah they're, they're not they're not in line with the rest of the series and you know even though Wind Waker is you know based at sea it's still somewhat the same oh it, it very much is this uh, the, the full story is yeah <laughs> one-to-one remake basically sure. same with twilight princess so obviously ocarina of time didn't reinvent the wheel when it came to the story but as we said in the ocarina of time episode we don't think it's the best game of all time but it's potentially arguably one of the most important games of all time and i would agree with that still i still think that ocarina of time is potentially the most important game of all time for what it did and what it represents and is legacy but if you're talking about the the fun that you can have with a game or the themes of a game or the stuff that you take away from the game i don't think that you walk away from ocarina of time having taken something away or asking questions or having deeper thoughts but i feel that you have that with majora's mask you do walk away from that game and and feel like you've got questions to ask yourself or there are thoughts or, or it lingers with you and it's just more fun. There's more to it over Ocarina of Time, I think. So I reckon this game, I wouldn't say it deserves to be number one, nor would I say Ocarina of Time deserves to be number one, but I'd say that it should be in the top 15 easily. Mm, big praise. I didn't expect it. Um, before we played this, I wouldn't have expected it, but obviously I'm glad to hear it as one of my favourite games. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think... I, th- I do think Ocarina of Time is more important than Majora's Mask. Yeah. But I think y- you you take that question away. I know it's a big question to take away. But I think, for me, Majora's Mask is better than it in, in, in every conceivable way. Um, and it, uh, it comes down to this. And you in the stockpot in in Majora's Mask. She was the lady in Ocarina of Time with the cuckoos, and then you got a bottle from her. The, char- the characters that were forgettable and in the background in Ocarina of Time, even though they've got the same character model, I think they're far more memorable Marcel, in Majora's it? Mask. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you can say it for every single one of them. Yeah. I remember their Majora's Mask iteration much more because they've got more personality. They're not just there. Well, they, they don't feel like they're just there to give you a heart piece, even if they are just there to give you a yeah. heart piece. They, 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 they've got a life. And a yeah, existence. they feel like people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes... I think this is a very special game. I found this really fascinating. Um... Adrian Ilma said at the time they believed that this formula that they used for Majora's Mask would be used by so many other games going forward. And they thought that because it opened up new doors and allows you to present things in a different way and maybe allows you to present a world in a, in a, in a more meaningful way at times, um, that they, you'd see it everywhere. And then they said, uh, he said when they were doing the 3DS version, it didn't happen. No one else did it. Like, this three-day structure 
the only game that I think has a similar structure, and I said to you, is funnily enough, the Hitman series. Because you start a level, within that level, you've got characters that go about their business. They might move to a certain place after a certain amount of time. If you do something, it might trigger them to do something different. Um, it's the same kind of thing. But that's the only series that I think has this sort of structure. And I would love to see games do it more often, but I, the, the, the thing is, I don't think it's an easy thing to do. And certainly not an easy thing to get right. Um and requires a lot of programming of a lot of, lot of different behaviours. So I think it's a very special game. For me personally, it's in my, my um, top three, as I say, and I think it really does belong near the top of the list. Um, and for those people that are... Because I like Wind Waker, and I like Twilight Princess prob probably even more. When I say that they're one-to-one, -one, they're not obviously one-to-one -one remakes. They look very different, and... They've got different gameplay elements, but yeah. structurally and formula-wise, they follow a very surprisingly similar story, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a game that doesn't come along very often, and I can't really think of another game like it. I mean, can you? I just off the, I, That's a genuine question, I don't know. Um... I don't know. I'm sure there are games that have a similar vibe to them, but I, I don't know if you could say games that are super similar to, to Majora's Mask because it's very out there and there's so many different themes and, and different things going on with it that it would be hard to say that there's something that's on the same lines as it just because it's so unique. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll think of something, but I don't know. I said this before. When I'm playing games, I often get flashes of other games, and I think, yeah. "Oh, this is like that." But in my in my playthrough of Majora's Mask, maybe with the exception of Ocarina of Time, because naturally there's some crossover yeah. there, I didn't really think of any other game. And yeah, I just think um, it is to me. It's a very special game, anyway, and. Um, I know that for a lot of people it isn't because that structure is divisive and it's not for everyone. But if you if you if it does look appealing to you, if you are interested in the themes, and if you think that the three day structure won't drive you mad, I'd say definitely give it a go on the 3ds or on the N6 or maybe on the 3ds because I think it is a more accessible version that you can enjoy. And then maybe go on to the N64 version if you've enjoyed that version. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I've talked a hell of a lot in this episode. I mean, it's probably the game on this list, maybe with a couple of exceptions, that I was going to talk a hell of a lot about. Um, I was overflowing with things to say. I probably didn't. I probably kicked myself later for not saying the stuff that I wanted to say. But yeah, I've really enjoyed this one. Really enjoyed recording this episode. Um, I wish they were all like this. <laughs> yeah. Although sadly, not not always the case. But no, I, I I've enjoyed this one too. I had a feeling that I'd like this one more than Ocarina of Time, which obviously, like I said, I I have done. Um, I won't say it was a big surprise to me, but no, I I enjoyed this game. So I suppose it's uh, focusing on the next Zelda game now, whenever that will be, which will be Wind Waker. Um, 
careful, you might be turning into a Zelda fan. No, I don't think so. Like, I mean, you never know, but if 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 there is going to be a game that would maybe convert me, then it will probably be Breath of the Wild. But that's not going to be for a very long time. Um, no. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to going back to Wind Waker. Like I said, I've played it a little bit in the past, and I quite like it. I like the art style. So, yeah, we'll um, we'll, we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll play Link's Awakening in the meantime at some point if Nintendo doesn't yeah. want a mortgage for the uh, for the the privilege. I think it. I'm not. I'm not certain, but it might be on sale at the moment. It's not. But... I've just I've just looked it. So oh, is it? Oh. I mean, th- get, th- get it from if you like Majora's Mask. Like if you like Majora's Mask, that would be my recommendation to you of the Zelda games yeah. because it's the other one that's weird and also got an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, I might look at it. We'll um, we'll see. But in the meantime, we've got to focus on game yes. 45, which is yes. mad to say because you know it's, it's not long till we get to that big 50. Almost halfway. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Next time we were get we discussed it a few times over the last few episodes. We were going to do Baldur's Gate, but we're um, we're going to push that back a little bit because it is a really big game. So we've decided to pull forward another big game. To be fair, we're going to be covering Half Life Two for the next episode, which I think is um, you know forty five. It's a milestone. I think Half Life Two is you know a, a good good filler for that position. Definitely and. Just, just for clarity, we'll be covering episode one and episode two separately. Um, we'll probably do a video which covers episode one, video. episode oh no, a, a, a podcast which covers episode one, episode two, and also Team Fortress in one. Um, but we're going to do Half Life Two as its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be the next episode to keep an eye out for. I'm sure it'll be an interesting one, as I know that that's also classified as one of the best games ever, ever, and I've I've never played it. So we'll see how that uh, how that fares. But in the meantime, if you want to reach out to us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us at the Long and Shorts Fit Podcast at hotmail.com. Uh, just tell us if you're enjoying the episodes, what your thoughts are, if you agree, if you disagree, or what games you'd like to see us cover at some point in the future. It's always good to hear from listeners. But yeah, that's pretty much everything from me. Anything else from you? Just kudos if you've uh, made it through the entire episode because it has been a long one. We've not done one this long for a while, but I feel like it was a bit of a special episode. Yeah, I, I think the last really, really long one we did was maybe Red Dead Redemption 2, or maybe The Last of Us Part 2, perhaps. So, yeah. It's about 10 months to a year or so. But yeah, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't played Majora's Mask and this has piqued your interest, I'd recommend it. But yeah. We look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, In the meantime, take care. Cheerio. See you on the next one.